Let's have a word of prayer together before we turn to God's word, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for these songs that speak such powerful words of doctrine and biblical truth into our lives. And as we turn to your word, Father, we'd ask for the anointing of your spirit, both for the one who will deliver it and for those who will hear. Lord, speak to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 8. As our pastors already alluded to, this is a psalm that we're focusing on as we think about the doctrine of man. Psalm 8, um, the Psalms are right in the middle of the Bible uh, at page 546 of you using the church pew Bible. We're told that it's for the director of music, according to Gitteth, whatever that is. Uh, It's a psalm of David. And he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands and put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. All that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord... Our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. This is God's word. Uh, Some of you will be aware from the news uh, this week that scientists have discovered that the planet Saturn, which is the second largest and the sixth from our sun in our solar system, has has a hitherto undiscovered ring surrounding it, the supersized halo, was found by NASA Spitzer Space Telescope. Uh, The bulk of the ring, can we have the the image up there just now? Thank you. Um, The the bulk of the ring starts, uh, and and these figures are just, I can't cope with this. So if if some of you can understand this, then you can come to me afterwards and and help me understand it. But the bulk of the ring starts 3.7 million miles from Saturn itself and extends outward about another 7.4 million miles. This is an artist's impression. Saturn is 746 million miles from the Earth, 840 million miles from the Sun, and it takes almost 30 years to complete its orbit around the Sun. So in the duration of my lifetime, Saturn has not orbited the Sun twice yet. No cheek. Thank you. I don't know about you, but given that our solar system, while so enormously vast, is but a dot within the immense greater expanses of the universe, that, quite frankly, blows me away. Completely blows me away. And having accepted as irrefutable fact that the Bible teaches me that God is the creator of all of this, forces me to ask a question, as it did this week. I was sitting typing up this notes, and as I, I just pondered this, I said, of all humanity, 
just who do we think we are. Just blows me away. Absolutely blows me away. Now, he didn't have the technology we have available to, to him. But looking up into a clear, cloudless, Middle Eastern sky with no light polluting street lamps to hinder his view, many centuries ago, the psalmist David, he too was blown away by the created expanse and order of the universe visible to the naked eye. And he asked the perennial question, what is man? Where would you begin your research in answering such a question? Science, literature, history, the media, mythology, your workmates, your pals down the pub, but just to name a few. Now, you'll certainly find an opinion about what man is regarding his nature, his purpose, and his function in all of the aforementioned. Uh, Some of you will be familiar with Mark Twain's philosophical book entitled, What is Man?, in which is dialogue between the young man and the old man, the old man reasons that man is nothing more than a machine whose entire life is conditioned and controlled purely by external factors with no reference to God whatsoever. Now, this is a very popular conclusion for many today. Whatever angle they may have come at this question, man is perceived as no more than an animal, albeit a slightly more intelligent one, or that he's a machine and that he's here, certainly not by design or purpose, but has arrived here on the planet by sheer accident. Now, tonight's sermon doesn't allow us even to begin to explore ways of countering the many theories and teachings that abound in the world today as to the origin or the purpose or the function of mankind. So we're simply going to look at, albeit, again, very briefly, given the amount of material that could be there, uh, what the Bible teaches us about the doctrine of man. But surely, some of you will say, uh, what we need to study is the doctrine of God and focus on that. So why study the doctrine of man? Uh, I don't know the source to this. I suspect I wrote it down at a conference somewhere. I certainly have it in my notes, and it's not original. Uh, Someone once said, a man can never understand why he behaves as he does, nor the importance and the implications of his behavior until he understands who and what he is. A famous film star once said, I'm just a piece of meat. That was her conclusion. So how would you begin to comment on such a question and to correct that view from a biblical perspective? Well, we're going to look at at least three truths about man, and that is mankind, that the Bible very clearly teaches us about ourselves. First of all, man is a created being. And very importantly... First and foremostly, I want to say, as a created being, that he is a spiritual being, reflecting the image of the God of the Bible. Genesis 1, 26 following, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And we picked that up in the psalmist. I read this further in um, Hebrews 2. Uh, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, Psalm 8, verse 3, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him, you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. 
what characterizes man as unique and set apart from other creatures is surely the fact that his creation is in the image and the likeness of God. Mankind, men and women, possess a similar nature to God and is therefore capable of a relationship, a personal relationship with their maker. Because man is created in the image of God. This does not mean that he is God, nor that he is part of God. Man is part of the creation. We are not outside of it, we're part of it. And thus we're dependent on God for everything. See, the Bible teaches that man is distinctly different from God, though bearing the image. Therefore, man is not God in disguise, nor is he an incarnation of God. Beware of the New Age quest to discover the Christ in all of us. But there is in man a key. I think it's a spiritual image-bearing element that sets him apart from and above all other creatures in nature. Man, the man of the Bible, as described to us, has been made to, first of all, love God, secondly, to worship God, and to, and thirdly, to enjoy his company. So what it means for us to be in the image of God has been a topic for much discussion in Christian history. But one of the key aspects of it, if not the key aspect of being in the image of God, means that we rule and have dominion over the world. That is, under God, we're to use our God-given intellects, our wills, and our emotions. And we're going to look at the implications of that more fully when I come to my second point in a moment. The Bible simply asserts that that God is, and God created mankind. Man was made by God, and he has a spiritual capacity. As he is far from God, man constantly searches for his spiritual home. We'll create an image of God for relationship. And without that relationship being um, fully awake, there is this deep inner quest inside all of us. Ecclesiastes 3 and 11 says that God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And this search takes on many forms. We see that in the great religions of the world. Uh, David was talking earlier on about uh, Islamic fundamentalism. What is it the, what's, what's behind the religion of Islam? It's a search to find God. What's behind any religion in the world? This, this inbuilt capacity that all of us have with eternity set in our hearts to find the one in whose image we are created. Jesus confirmed both an Old Testament saying and the findings of the human heart when he declared that man does not live by bread alone. Think about that for a moment. As Jesus speaks in Matthew 4 and 4, I think what he's saying is that that man needs more than the physical elements of life. And it is the Bible that gives to the searching humanity the answers that philosophers and learned men of religion have always been unable even to guess at that God was on a search himself for a man, for mankind whom he loves. How can someone who has just endured a violent, bitter attack turn around and say, I love you, and my God loves you too? But did you hear the response? You're a better man than I am. When Paul is evangelizing the Gentiles, 
he starts at a different place than he does when he's evangelizing the Jews. He starts at that place where he makes it very clear that God creates mankind and we're dependent on him for everything. In him we move and ha- live and move and have our being. Every human being has the inbuilt capacity for spiritual experiences. We're created as spiritual beings. We're also com- created as complete beings. The Bible teaches that all men have a common origin and nature. Um, ultimately, when you ask someone, can you tell me something of your family tree? Well, it all begins back with Adam and Eve for all of us. Man was created as an intelligent being and is recognized as the head of all living things. And as such, he's been given authority to govern the earth and to use its resources responsibly. Because of man's place in creation, God has made him a physical being, completely involved in God's world. Again, some scriptural references for those who might be taking notes. Acts 17, verse 26. From one man he made every nation. Let's ponder that for a moment. Only one human race. There are not many races of people. It's a wrong use of the phrase, of the word. There is one human race to which all mankind belong, irrespective of which part of the world you were born in, color your skin might be, any other factors that might set you out different from other people. There is only one human race. Boy, as a country, as a nation, as a one great world power, does Britain need to repent of its attitude towards those people throughout the world that we consider to be less than equal with us? as human beings. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Genesis 2 and 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Further on in verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed Out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air, he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. And so the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Now, however you want to understand man's connectedness to this physical experience in the the world, or try to describe the complex relationship between physical and spiritual, it's safe to conclude that when the Bible speaks of body, soul, heart, and mind, it's referring to me not as composite parts, whether two or three, but rather as a psychosomatic unity or as a whole person. Man is different from the animals because he's a spiritual nature, though he also has a physical nature. He is this complete being having profound implications for him. Since mankind is created as the spiritual and yet complete being, think of the implications in regard to how we view all human life, from conception to death. See, if you regard human life from the humanist point of view, you will define humanity altogether differently than we are here in this place tonight. 
Um, quoted in A Matter of Life and Death, written by John Wyatt, uh, Richard Dawkins uh, is reported to have said, We are all machines built by DNA whose purpose is to make more copies of the same DNA. Flowers are for the same thing as everything else in the living kingdoms, for spreading Copy Me programs about That is exactly what we're for. We are machines for propagating DNA. It is every living object, soul, reason for living. Uh, He said this in response to a little girl that Dawkins asked a question to. He said, why do you think there are flowers in the world? And the little girl said, to make the world look nice and to help provide something for the bees to make honey with. Dawkins says, I had to tell her she was wrong. And this is how he explained it to her. But when you view human life from God's point of view, then it takes on a dignity and a value lost to it otherwise. Just stop for a moment and consider the impact that it would have on our society alone if we were to turn to God in repentance and begin to live according to His revealed will and principles. All human life, from conception to the grave, is made in the image of God. That's what the Word's saying to us. All human life. All human life. Think of the profound impact that such a belief system put into practice would mean for the unborn. For all the unborn. For the physically and the mentally challenged. As we look at people, what do we see? Someone who is less capable, less able, less important, than I am because I have all my faculties about me? Or do we see people like we are, made lower than the angels, yet crowned with glory and honor? Because tainted though it is in all of us, we reflect something as image bearers of the Creator God. What would it mean for our care of the elderly? Of the people that sometimes we may find embarrassing in our families or societies. All of us are complete beings. A number of years ago, I attended the funeral service of my 17-year-old niece, who was profoundly physically and mentally handicapped. I know we don't use that word as a PC term of reference these days, but profoundly challenged. She never grew any longer than about this. Ragdoll experience, couldn't do anything for herself, couldn't speak, couldn't walk, couldn't feed. Laterally couldn't even have a bowel movement unless it was assisted by my sister, her mum. And at her funeral, the minister said, which of us is disabled She lived her life to the fullness of her God-given capacity. Big challenge. Because some of us 
our lives apparently can make no difference during our lifetime. And hers did, believe me. We're complete beings. We're also moral beings. The Bible assumes and teaches that man has a moral aspect which relates him to his creator. Now, this is seen in the laws that govern even the most primitive societies. Man recognizes the difference between right and wrong. The animal kingdom behaves according to the drive of brute instinct. Man possesses a drive that makes him morally aware, a drive which says, I ought. Now, it would appear that many people suffer from what someone has called a hardening of the ought aries. The Bible calls it a seared conscience. And as a result, it is basic to the teaching of the Bible that man is not a victim of his upbringing or his circumstances. You remember when Mez McConnell preached here in this pulpit for the first time? He said, out in Nidri, I just tell people they're scumbags and they need to come to faith in Jesus. In Charlotte Chapel, we're just scumbags in suits. Very uncomfortable moment. Man is responsible for his actions, and he must answer for them. And if we remove this concept from our understanding of man's nature, we must also remove any true content from such words as reward, or merit, or justice, or even forgiveness. Man is responsible for his actions, whether he's a follower of God or not. Let's think of what Paul says of the unbelievers as he addresses them in Romans uh, 2, 14 through 15. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law of God do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. Unbelievers have this written as a code in their hearts that they know what's right and wrong and have to be kept accountable to it. Moral responsibility. As believers, the psalmist David cries out, Have mercy on me, O God, in Psalm 51. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Man is created in the image of God for a relationship with God, and to use his God-given abilities to rule the world, caring for it and subduing it in ways that will glorify God. Secondly, man is a creative being. Being created in God's image means that we rule and we have dominion over the world. And that is such good news for the world so long as we rule under God and according to his will. But mankind, even in his fallen state, still possesses the ability to be, first of all, naturally creative. Even after the judgment of the flood, God re-emphasized this aspect of man's responsibility. In Genesis 9, verses 1 through 3, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, now I give you everything. Responsibility to be naturally creative. And in countries where societies and societies where the scriptures, where God's holy word has been taken seriously, technology and science have flourished in a very positive and productive way. So I thought about this. Do you know, I think the Bible encourages us 
to explore and to develop the wonderful works of God. So mining, trade, manufacture, technology, performed responsibly. Surely that's part of man's responsibility, to be creative, ruling, subduing. A task given to him by God during his stay on the planet. I think, too, that we're culturally creative, bearing the image of God. At times in history, uh, Christians have kind of looked distrustfully at the arts and things that possess natural beauty. But we've got that from God. The capacity for the appreciation of what is beautiful. For intellectual development. For literature and the arts. As well as for sport and for recreation. My old dog, he's 14 now. He doesn't appreciate the things he did when he's a pup. But you know, he never really appreciated oil paintings either. Or beautiful sunsets. He's been quite content for his 14 years just to be fed once a day and given a little bit of exercise. You know, life on earth is meant to be enjoyable, but cultural activity calls for as much discipline as any other part of life. We're socially creative. Man was placed on the earth not to live in isolation from his neighbor, But in the pattern of community and family that stems from God's own nature, God made us for relationships. The Bible points out um, the enormous value of friendship and above all marriage. Marriage has kind of gone off the scene in our society. But you know, mankind, we've read it already, was created male and female. There's no other gender. I listen around in today's world. Uh, you can be a man or a woman, or you can be something else. There isn't anything else. You're created either male or female. There's no uh, plan in God's heart other than to have uh, these two and the species come together in lifelong relationships for procreation. And I believe, actually, the most satisfying and edifying experience of companionship. Woman was created when God saw that it was not good for man to be alone, and when no other suitable helper was found for him among the animal kingdom. The relationship between a husband and wife is is a gift from God. They can share problems and pleasures, companionship. The joy of sexual intimacy. Married partners are able to strengthen each other throughout life. Because of God's created order within our socially creative world, there's no place for sexism. We don't have time to explore the divine mystery of how Uh, The man or the woman comes to be one flesh in marriage. But there's no place for male chauvinism. There's no place for feminism in God's ideal world. Marriage is God's idea. I believe it's his highest ideal for all of us. We've been created to show compassion and justice in the way that we treat others. And only when a man or a woman uses these qualities in his or her relationships in the family, in social care, in government, in work, then do we become what God meant us to be. God's ideal for all people is that they should love one another. Some of you are old enough to know the song that my parents taught me, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. No, I was around when that was released. I'm just... Man is a created being. He is a creative being. But we know that Sin has tainted the relationship. So my final point that I want to say about the doctrine of man is that man can be a recreated being. 
Everything that was lost to humanity in the fall and the judgment of God in respect to the first Adam has been reversed and redeemed by Jesus Christ, who is the second Adam. In Hebrews 2, we see Jesus, who, like all mankind, was made a little lower than the angels for a while. But unlike humanity, which fails to have everything in subjection to it, we see Jesus now crowned with glory and honor, and who now rules the world, having suffered death on behalf of half of us. Jesus is both God and man. And as man, he is the last Adam. This is what we are truly created to be. Jesus is what we are truly created to be. And we can come to him and be transformed into his image to become what God wants us to be. Romans 8 and 29, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many believers. 2 Corinthians 3 and 18 uh, says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Jesus is the man into whose image we can be transformed. The new life begins at a birth, a spiritual birth, a birthing from above. In John 3 and 3, in his dialogue with Nicodemus, a very learned man who asks what he must do to inherit eternal life, Jesus says, I declare... I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And then there uh, ensues uh, a natural and human response from Nicodemus, uh, to which Jesus replies with a supernatural and divine relation, indicating that new birth is the initiative of a divine, sovereign, gracious God, when by believing in the finished work of Christ and turning to him for salvation, the man or woman who has previously in their natural state stands condemned before a holy God, in their trespass and sin is by a miracle of God's grace transformed out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so the Apostle Paul almost cries out loud in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. I wonder, do you get that? That you created an image of God for relationship with him. You created to reflect his creativity in the world in which you live and work. But sin has separated us. Jesus reunites us and will one day finish the work so that we will become like him. Psalm 8 concludes where it begins with an ascription of praise to the almighty creator God. O Lord... Our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Worship is our appropriate response to, not just in song, but to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Let us pray.